Welcome to the Widow I Go From Here podcast, where we empower Christian women and widows to navigate grief with God. I am your host and Kingdom Widows coach, Daisha Carter. Get ready to triumph over grief the kingdom way. Thanks for tuning in. And now let's listen and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Widow I Go From Here podcast, where I inspire you to embrace the kingdom way of navigating grief and loss. Today, my honored guest is all the way from Greer, South Carolina, Miss Marilyn Nutter. Marilyn loves finding treasures in unexpected places, gratitude and mulch, conversations with grandchildren and secrets in old trunk. Most of all, she has found the treasure of hope and loss. Unexpectedly widowed after 42 years of marriage, Lamentations 322 through 23 has a brilliant treasure, and you are right. After a career as a speech language pathologist, Marilyn pursued God's calling to write and is the author of devotional books, and a contributor to print, online publications, and compilations, and co-author with April White White of the award-winning Destination Hope, a travel companion when life falls apart. Her book, Hope for Widows, Reflections on Mourning, Living, and Change, is an outcome of her journals and widowhood journey, and will be released in 2024. She serves as a facilitator for grief support for spouses and on the women's ministry team at her church. Her blog encourages us toward hopeful living by weaving hope and purpose in our ordinary and challenging days. She began married life on a Caribbean island and any beach with splashing waves is still her happy place, especially when shared with her grands. I love it. Marilyn, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, Absolutely. You are welcome. And so why not just dive right in? How about you a bit about yourself? Who is Marilyn Nutter? Who is Marilyn Nutter? Well, Marilyn Nutter was born and raised in New York State, Rochester, New York, in the snow belt, where it was not uncommon to have 200 inches of snow in a season. So when you introduced me as beginning my married life on a Caribbean island, that was absolutely spectacular for me. But uh, my husband and I uh, met in uh, college, and he took me down there where we were teaching uh, for a couple of years. And then also moved around in the United States, lived in about four different states. Um, I have, I was married, as you said, for 42 years and four months when he suffered a fatal heart attack. And we raised uh, three beautiful daughters who are married and have given me eight grandchildren. So um, I am very privileged to have my family. My extended family all still lives in the snow belt up in New York State. Wow. 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 Thank you for sharing that. So I I absolutely want to hear about um, how you came to faith in Jesus. But before we dive into that, so tell me a little bit about, I'm just a hopeless romantic. Okay. So just know (laughs) that about me. 
Okay. Um, so tell me the story of how you and your husband met. Well, I was in my senior year at a university and he was a graduate student. He was actually the graduate assistant for a professor for the very last education class I took. And so we saw each other. I'll just leave it that way. We didn't really talk very much or whatever. And at one point he asked my roommate out on a date and she came back. I still remember that. You know how you have those moments when you still can picture something that was years and years ago. And I still remember she, I stayed in my room. I didn't have a date that night. And she came back in and I looked at her and I said, how was it? And she said, oh, he's just great. I don't know why anyone hasn't, has, anyone hasn't snapped him up. And I said, oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad you had a good time. Well, they never had another date. But anyway, but that summer, I graduated in May. My roommate and I, we were in the same major. She became my maid of honor, by the way, at my wedding. Um, and we're still very good friends all these years later. But that summer, we both worked uh, in a camp on campus for special needs children. We were both speech pathology majors. And crossing campus, we ran into him. And she asked him, were our final grades in? And he told her, he said, oh, yes, I remember your grade. You got, and he, she got an A. And he looked at me and he said, I, I don't remember yours. What was your name again? And I told him, he said, no, I don't remember your, your, your grade. Well, as the summer went on, we were there for about eight weeks. We were out in town one day and I was actually on a date with somebody and we were at a particular place and, um, he was there and he came in and we were all talking and my date got up to go to the restroom and he came and sat next to me and said, so what are you girls doing here this summer? And we explained it and we got to talking and talking and my date came back and instead of getting up, he said, why don't you just move down? So I moved down and he sat next to me and my date sat next to him and one thing led to another in our conversation and he asked for my phone number and that would have been in July, the end of July, because I was going to graduate school in August and um, we were engaged in October. No way. <laughs> so we had a long, we had a long distance relationship, really. We would see each other on breaks. Um, but we were married that following August. I ended up finishing up the last four credits I needed for my master's degree. And so that was that was good. Wow. I love that. So I'm a girl from the hood. Okay. okay. <laughs> Your husband, that was gangster. That was a <laughs> gangster move right there. <laughs> Uh, I love that he knew what he wanted and he pursued it, went after it. I love that. I love that. That he did. That he did. Okay. Okay. I have so many other questions, but you know, <laughs> you know, for the sake of time. So tell me about um, just your faith. And so I, you know, as I was literally got sucked in on your website, it is very evident that your faith has uh, 
a great deal just to play in your journey. And so tell us a little bit about, you know, your walk with God, your journey with Jesus and, and how you came to faith and the whole nine. Sure. I'd be glad to. I love talking about it. Um, I was uh, in a state university and in my senior year, uh, my we we my roommate and I lived next door to two other gals who were sweet, friendly, and would they were not the same major we were. And I remember we would go, you know how you visit in different rooms, and we'd go in their room, and they just seemed very strange in some ways. They were nice, they were not odd, but they would have index cards on their bulletin board, on their lampshades, on their desk, you name it. And you'd look at these index cards and they were Bible verses. And we would look and we'd come back to our room and say, what do you think that's all about? That seems so odd. Well, finally, and I say finally, because it was probably, well, like it was maybe about six weeks into the semester, we were in their room and we finally said, we've got to ask you a question. Why do you have all these verses all over the room? And they said, we thought you'd never ask. We were waiting for that question. And one thing led to another. And that is where I learned the difference between a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who I'm a sinner. He died on the cross for my sins. Um, it's only through the blood of Jesus and not good works that I am saved. And whereas I had gone to church and so had my roommate and read the Bible, read the stories of the Bible, but it was not personal. And it was that evening that both my roommate and I accepted Jesus as our savior. And I wish I could tell you that I was seriously discipled and that my path was moving forward all the time, but it was not. I read my, I devoured the Bible. I mean, I still have my original one full of underline. I mean, I would get up early on Saturday morning and read it and I loved it. And when I would go to church, I was um, hearing things for the first time because I had the Holy Spirit as my teacher. And so it made sense to me. And I'm thinking, I have missed out on this and everybody knows about it except me, you know, is the way I felt. But um, that really wasn't the case. And I, there were the, the crowd that was the Christian group at that time was in some ways a little on the periphery, off the wall a little bit, a little more expressive, let me say, than I recognized that I had associated with maybe just something unusual. And so I didn't really stay with that group. And as a result, I was left on my own. I wasn't discipled. I then, it was hit and miss for me. You know, I'd read my Bible, but I just didn't connect with a group. And eventually, after we were we were married for a couple of years, and um, 
we left the we left the Caribbean because we we went back to the day we left the Caribbean it was 85 and when I landed in Rochester New York it was 17 and snowing <laughs> and at that point my sister-in-law had become a Christian and she was very much involved in a Bible study and she invited me and that's where things started changing for me that I realized I need to be in this not just to read it I need to know it and that was foundational where God and we talked about this a little bit before we went on the recording was that God positioned me with a mentor and I studied and studied and she really discipled me, still friends with her to this day. And that is where I really had my foundation. We, we studied books of the Bible. I mean, it wasn't topics. We studied books and then we'd finish one and go to the next book, you know, whether it was the book of James or the book of Genesis, whatever it was, we just studied books of the Bible. And that's where um, I really grew at that point. And that was very, it wasn't very, it was in the beginning of my Christian life. I'm trying to do the math quickly. Can't do two things at the same time, talk and do my math in my head. But I was in my, I was in my late 20s at that point. And so it was about seven or eight years later and just really became serious. And, you know, as the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you have that taste, it is insatiable. And it was insatiable for me. And so that was so foundational for my study. And then eventually teaching Bible and working in Christian higher ed and everything just seemed to be building and building and building. But I had to have that foundation that was more than just reading. It was devouring. It was devouring. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. So there's a few things that stick out as I'm listening uh, to you tell your story. And, and, and it's, it's actually a great segue just into um, surviving widowhood, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm listening, but I'm, I'm listening and I'm seeing Matthew 28, 18 through 20, come to life in your story where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but teach them to obey everything, right? Right. And so one, how the way that God designed the body of Christ, we are connected. One, we're connected to the head, right, which is Jesus. But as members of the body, we need each other. I cannot say that I don't need you, Marilyn, right? Right. We are connected. And being connected is foundational to our growth, but also being discipled. So not just being connected, not just being a part of a group, but being trained, right, being taught to obey, being trained in how to become the image of Jesus is foundational for our growth. And so I, I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, wow, being able to compare and contrast, right? So when you first accepted Jesus and what that was like and 
then being able to, I, I don't even, I don't want to, I'm using the word drift for lack of a better word. Okay. That's the only word that comes. That's okay. But then to come back and to come back with, I need to not just read, I need to consume, I need to devour, I need to taste. I not only need to be a part, I also need mentorship. Like all of it working together, right? That's Enhances right. our growth in Christ. So why don't you um, talk a little bit about just, because you said that your husband died unexpectedly. And so tell me about, was it, was it a day? What did he, you know, suffer a heart attack? And was he in the hospital for a few days, few months? Like, tell me or us the experience of losing your husband. Okay. Well, um, as I mentioned, uh, we have three grown, we still say we, don't we? Uh, three grown daughters. And uh, one of them lived out West, my uh because her husband was a pastor of a church out there. And so it was that particular Christmas that we were going to spend our Christmas holiday out in Idaho. There were a few things going on. Uh, my daughter and son-in-law as newlyweds, uh, it was his, uh, they, they assumed a pastor, or he assumed a pastor in a church uh, and they had been out there for something like, I think at the time it was 15 years and the church grew and grew and grew to the point where they needed a new building. It was a beautiful, beautiful ministry that, that God um, called them to. And so they had a new building. And so they were dedicating that building in December. It also happened to be my grandson's birthday, who was turning five. And uh, the kids were in a uh Christmas program at school. And when you're going to travel 2000 miles, you know, you just don't go for a couple of days. You decide, you know, you're spending a lot of money and it takes a day to get out there. So we made the most of it, you know, and they wanted, we certainly wanted to be there for the dedication of the building. We had gone to visit many times. We knew the people in their church. It was, it was just a beautiful thing that we had watched grow over the years. So uh, we went out there and we went to the children's Christmas, uh, their kids' school, Christian school program. And we went to the, uh, the church dedication. And Randy that night must have taken 300 photographs of the, uh, the event, you know, individual people with my son-in-law and daughter and people that we knew, and then just taking pictures of the new building and it was it was wonderful all to the glory of God it was beautiful and um that next Sunday that which was two days later uh or maybe the next day I can't remember now but uh within a day or two we went to church that Sunday and he took his camera with him and I laughingly said you haven't taken enough pictures you're going to take he said well I'll never know I want to take one and as we were walking in I said you know what I said we you took all those pictures. I said, we should have a picture of the two of us because this has been a journey for us also, you know, and at my daughter's at the rehearsal dinner because they were newly married and they went out to Idaho. And at the rehearsal dinner, I remember my future son-in-law at the time said, 
how much he appreciated the fact that we were willing to release our daughter and let her go. Well, anyway, so um, I, I said, let's get someone to take our picture so that we could document the fact that we were there also. And we found someone we knew took our picture. And that was the very last picture I have of my husband and me together. Because the next day he was, um, he woke up, he had planned to go to the church to help my daughter with the sound system. She was conducting the, or uh, directing the children's choir for the Christmas Eve service. And he went over with her to help her out. And at that time, he was having some chest pains. All this time, he had been under a doctor's care for about a year, and they did not believe it was heart-related. They thought it was all gastroenterological. But anyway, um, so he was having some chest pains, and we went to the ER, and they were able to get his records in Charlotte. There was, anyway, long story. They said, he's having a heart attack. We need to life flight him to Spokane, Washington, because Lewiston, Idaho is a very small town. They were not equipped to do the stints and all that. So they life flighted him and we drove. My daughter and my son-in-law, she was able to leave the children with someone. Meanwhile, our other daughter, our single daughter, had flown out that day before. Uh, to spend Christmas with us too. So now we were going back to Spokane and they told us the room he would be in. They said, they'll do the stints and um, we're gonna, this is his room assignment and you can see him and I'm sure it'll be done by the time you get there because we were driving and he was life lighted. And we got there, went to his room and it was empty. And we went to the nurse's station and they said, oh, he's still down in the cardiac lab. And we went to the cardiac lab and um, waited there. And um, a doctor came in and told us that it was still going to be a while. They were working on him. And then he came back again and said he's having a very rocky time. We are letting his heart rest right now. We had to do CPR, but he's holding on. And um, I did not ask any questions. I did not ask, are you trying to tell me he's not going to make it? I, I didn't even, I, it was not a question I wanted to have answered and it wasn't going to change anything in the moment. I had that presence of mind at least. And then the third time they came, they came, the team came and they said, we're sorry. So it was, um, sudden. You asked if it was sudden or a long time. Um, it was sudden. It was within that that short hours, really. And we were in Spokane. Meanwhile, um, my, my son-in-law, my daughter, whatever, my single daughter, they were, they were texting and notifying people. And people were all over the country praying for him, you know. And then but the answer to the prayer was no. So that was very sudden. And it was two days before Christmas. We were 2,000 miles from home. And we had this major life change.
the, the, the beautiful thing, if you want me to add something to that, I can. Um, the, so the next day uh, was Christmas Eve. Uh, we, so we drove back, we drove back to Lewiston um, and there was a funeral home there that was going to take care of what we needed to take care of then there. But um, the, um, and I think, oh, the, so the next day was Christmas Eve and my son-in-law was supposed to preach that night, you know, when he found someone else, obviously, to preach for him. Uh, but, and my two grandchildren, who were five and seven, Elliot was uh, going to be in the choir, and Quinn was a little shepherd in the Christmas program. And um, it was that afternoon, um, Elliot had said to her mom, um, I really still want to go and sing tonight for Papa. And Heather ran it by me, you know, and I said, if that's what she wants to do, that's what she can do. I said, I am not sitting through a Christmas Eve program or a service. And she said, oh, no. She said, no. She said, I told her that she would sing and that we would come home. And I said, all right, that would be fine. Well, Quinn didn't want to go. And then he changed his mind and he did. So my, my son-in-law was at the church. We were in our sweats and we pulled up to the church. Heather had dropped Elliot off. We pulled up to the church and we stood in the back. Nobody recognized us, fortunately. And I remember my son-in-law opening up because the kids were the very first part of the service with the choir and everything and the, and the shepherds running down the aisle and, and all that. It was sweet. And my son-in-law mentioned, he said, some of you know and some of you don't that um, my father-in-law suffered a fatal heart attack yesterday. And he said, the one whose birth we are remembering tonight is the one he is seeing face to face. And I still remember that. I could still see my son-in-law, Paul, up there. And so the kids came out, they, they were dismissed, and then we went home. And the next morning, you know, we, um, we had two children, five and seven, and we had to open Christmas presents. And because the next day we were driving to the airport to head home to Charlotte. We had a memorial service to plan. So I'm trying to even remember, I've talked and gone on and on, and I'm sorry if I did that. I can't remember what your question even was. You asked about my husband's sudden, was it sudden? Yes, it was sudden, but it was so filled with so much because it was Christmas and I had so much with my grandchildren and my 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 daughters that were with me and then the it was very complicated very complicated yeah thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. um that's so profound just what your son-in-law said because that's the goal right like that's mm -hmm. the goal and so many times and I get it I I I, I truly understand folks don't want to die you know <laughs> but but for the christian i'm getting emotional for the christian death truly is the beginning death is the thing 
that opens the gate to eternity for us, for believers. And that's just a beautiful perspective to have. What a beautiful perspective your son-in-law gave that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me ask you this: What? And I, I don't, I don't mean to go back, but, but I, but I think right, widows, and not even just widows, right? Th- those of us that are just navigating a season of loss. What were some of your greatest fears? And and I'll say this because my husband, um, he also died at the hospital, and I remember walking out with my three boys numb and shock mm-hmm. and thinking what am I going to do like you know what I mean like like just thinking what am I going to do and so that's that's my question what when they pronounced your husband deceased and the reality that he is not leaving that hospital with you what was going through your mind at that time it's interesting because I just had a flashback and I could exactly tell you what he looked like and where I was and which side of the bed I was on, where my daughters were. Um, we, what was going, my, in my mind was absolute disbelief that it was, that this had actually happened. Um, and of course, I was two that we were 2000 miles from home. I mean, it wasn't even in our own hospital in our community. It was clear across the country. And it was a question of now, what do I do? It was, it wasn't even what, do, what is my future going to look like? It wasn't, what am I going to do with my life? It was, what am I going to do about this? I mean, that was where I was at the moment. Um, and thinking too, that we also had, an 80 or 90 mile trip back to Idaho because we had made a hotel reservation fully thinking we were spending the night and taking him home the next day. And my daughter had said, do you want to still stay here? And I said, no, I don't. I want to go back. I I don't want to, what am I going to do in a hotel room? You know? Um, And so it was more like I had so many I couldn't really think about what my life was going to be like. I need to I needed to figure out what I was going to do in the next few hours, really. Um, and providentially, what happened was when he was in Spokane and the texts and the emails went out, please pray, et cetera, what was going on, there were two men from my husband, my husband's, my son-in-law's church, who were in Spokane shopping, which is odd to have two men shopping. And um, why they were, I don't know, but they heard about it and they came to the hospital. And my, we knew both of them. My husband had gone fishing with one of them. The other was a doctor that he had actually seen in Lewiston to just ask for some information. Like, I'm still having these problems, but nothing is really helping, you know? And he, so he said, you need it, whatever. Um, and those men were there and they were the two men who drove us back to Idaho that night. And they then went back the next day on Christmas Eve to get their vehicle. So that was really incredible that they did that. 
and that God had put them there. So that was one practical answer for us. And then we had to deal with the other, but I did nothing. Now, when I got home, looking at the mail, there were bills there. And I thought, I've got to get on the computer and do this. And I didn't know how, because he had done all the online banking. And fortunately, I had the password and I, I knew that. But so right off the bat, with grief brain, and you know very well what grief brain is, you cannot think, I'm trying to learn something new. And but yet he took care of things for me. It was my greatest protector. That I think is where I two things when you it's not a fear, it's a loss. One of them is I do not have a protector, except for Jesus, of course, but I mean a human one in my life. And I am not number one in anybody's life anymore. That's major. Those are two major things. So I, I mean, they're not fears. They're just acknowledgments of change. And that is, that affects us. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to pivot a little bit. Okay. Because we can have a whole conversation on, <laughs> on just that alone, right? Right. Um, but one thing you said was you had all these people praying and the answer to the prayer was no, mm -hmm. right? So tell me how, and I'm sure you, you, you've seen it, right? So many of us just being human, I think we can fall all the way out when God says no, right? We can act a fool when God says no. We can have a temper tantrum when God says no. So many responses, right, to God's no. What was it that in you that decided to make Jesus the center of your grief journey? The center of my grief journey, I think, is because he, before my grief journey, you know, widows have a tendency, our time, you know, in a, on a calendar, we have BC, you read a history book, it's BC and AD, you know, time, that's the way time is, is identified. Widows, when I was married and then after he died. We, we define it that way because our lives are so dramatically different and we've had to make adjustments and changes and moves and whatever else. But I didn't see Jesus as Jesus as the center of my grief journey was really no different than before my husband died because Jesus was the center of my life. <laughs> and there was, now, does that mean I, early on, we've been talking a long time here, and I mentioned that I devoured the word of God. I studied, I read, it was, I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. I loved reading his word and knowing who God is and more about him and all of that. Does that mean that's what I did in the days and weeks that followed? No, because my brain was so foggy 
that it was very hard for me to focus and read. I remember talking to my, one of my daughters one time and I said, well, I was able to pray a little longer today. And she said, yeah, more than a sentence. I said, yeah. She said, that was me too, mom. And it's true. You know, you can't, you don't, I, at least for me, I couldn't do that. But I, I remember on this coffee table in my sunroom where I would sit, have my quiet time. My husband had given me a beautiful gift book. It was by Kay Arthur to know him by name. And it was a gift book. It had lots of white space and graphics and it was not reading like you'd read a, a book itself. It was, it had not a whole lot of words in it but it had pictures and whatever. And it was on the names of God. And the very first name of God that was shared in that book was Elohim, creator God. And I looked at it and I started, you know, and then it was January. Even in Charlotte, the leaves fall, <laughs> even though it's, it's warmer, it was still chilly and the trees were bare. And I looked out at those trees and God spoke to me and he said, you know, Marilyn, you're not always going to be as bare as those trees are right now. He said, I'm Elohim creator. He said, I'm creating something new in you. Be patient. The seasons change. You are going to change. And that was, it wasn't that it was a profound moment. Like that's when I decided Jesus was going to be the center. It was more of a confirmation that I knew he was with me. Things were different. I change, but he doesn't. And so that's where, and I, I have several widowed friends who are strong Christians, and we all say the same thing. We could not have made it, and we still can't make it without Jesus. Yes, yes, Constant yes. companion. Yes. Woo. Okay, so I love it. And so this, we were talking right before we press record, mm -hmm. but that's what I was alluding to. What I'm learning is that whatever our internalized belief is, whatever that is, whether it's based on truth or a lie, the life event exposes what's inside. If your foundation was Christ, before widowhood, if you devoured the word, if you stood on the promises, if that was your internal spiritual well-being, mm -hmm. all the life event does is exposes what's inside. Exactly. Right? And right. so now you are faced with and I love that you said that I was someone, it wasn't even foggy brain for me. I had no desire to read my Bible. I had no desire to pray. I had, my grief was so all consuming. There was no desire for anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what God does, which I, I love because we have the spirit of God living inside of us and he mm -hmm. speaks right and I love for me it was Daisha I don't need you to do anything I just mm -hmm. need you to be 
that's it, that's all. If it's grieving, be a griever. And so I love that God spoke to you. It wasn't in, you know, picking up the Bible. Like God, he meets us where we are. And so I love that. Um, Okay, going to land the plane. So, and I have enjoyed this conversation, Miss Marilyn. Me too. So tell us about your book. What motivated you to write Hope for Widows, Reflections on Mourning, Living, and Change? And what role does hope play on the path to healing? What role does hope play? Well, that that also goes back to the other book that April and I wrote, Destination Hope, A Travel Companion When Life Falls Apart. We each had two major life interruptions and we landed in hope. And people ask us the same question, how do you define it? Um, Hope for me, and people define hope in different ways. For some people, they say it is um, wishful thinking you know, or they say it's, um, uh, you know, like, oh, I, I hope I fit into my bathing suit after I haven't exercised all winter, you know, or, or expectation. Oh, I hope, I hope it doesn't rain this week because we spent a lot of money renting that beach house, you know, it's that kind of hope. Um, all, neither of which is, it's so temporary and it's by chance, really. We and I, rather, define hope as knowing who God is, confidence in who God is, and that he keeps his promises. And we rely on that as our hope. And it is not wishful thinking, and it is not chance, and it's not inconsistent. It's when you said, you know, you couldn't read, you couldn't study, you couldn't, you know, but we had a hope of Hebrews 13, 5, that he would never leave you or forsake you. That is our hope. Um, we have his promise that says, and you and I both know this, that his grace meets us where we are and it's sufficient for what we need at the moment. It doesn't change. We still cry, but yet he gives us grace every day to do. And when I had to struggle with that online banking, that was only the tip of the iceberg for all the things I had to learn, but it is grace that gives us what we need for every work that we have to do. And it is knowing. And again, when you say for the Christian, we grieve, but we don't grieve like others who have no hope. We have the hope of heaven. You know, I moved around a lot. I told you that we, you know, all these different places I moved. And one time I mentioned to somebody, I just don't feel comfortable here. I knew we, <clears throat> I knew we had to be there. God put us there, but I just didn't. Can I say I just didn't like it? And the person said to me, well, that's because you're not home yet. You weren't made for this place. You're you're on your way home. And that was where my husband went when we were sitting in church on Christmas Eve. He was home. And so that's where my hope rests is that God's word is true. 
He keeps his promises. He doesn't change. Um, he was, he's reliable and trustworthy. And my circumstances may be rough. I've had a lot of disappointments in my life. I've had rough experiences. But I have to remember that God says he's wise. He says he loves me. He's working things in my life. He has things planned for me in advance. I mean, when you talked earlier about being positioned, I mean, when I met the, the woman who mentored me early in my late 20s, in early in my Christian life in my late 20s, I mean, that was so foundational for what I was going to need for where I am today. So that's hope. It's not, it's not something elusive. It is because we use it that way in our society and in our conversations. But hope is confidence that God is who he says he is. He does what he says he will do. He keeps his promises. Studying his names is so hopeful. He's, he's Shalom. He's peace. He's Jehovah Jireh. He provides. I mean, we could go on and on and spend the next hour. Um, and that takes me back to your question about how did I decide to make him my foundation? Because that's who he was for me in the first place. Yes. And though I didn't have that same connection just because I couldn't think straight um, after Randy died, um, that evolved too. You you know, when you look at Matthew 11, um, take, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, you and um, learn of me. You know, when he invites us to come, doesn't invite us to say a thing. He invites us to come. And then he says, take, take my yoke. Why? Because we're in a yoke with him where he is guiding us and he's the one. It's in the message, um, Eugene Peterson, you know, the paraphrase version of the Bible. He says, it's the unforced rhythms of grace. It's like he's doing it and we are just following along and we're learning of him. And that would be my encouragement to any widow, regardless of where she is in her, or any woman, not only a widowed, a woman who's widowed, but any woman is to come and take and learn and you will get the rest and you will then have the hope. Mm. Preach, <laughs> preach. Oh, this is so good. It's so good. We are landing the plane, but let me comment. Okay. So Oh my goodness. When I tell you, you have just fed my soul. So one hope is knowing who God is and holding to his promises. And I'm just going to read this really quickly. Matthew nine, I'm sorry, not Matthew. Psalm nine ten says, those who know your name, trust in you. Mm -hmm. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And you're right. It's knowing the names of God, is knowing who he is, is where we find a, a solid hope, a hope that is anchored 
and not shifty. So, okay, just let me highlight that. Wow. Matthew 11. I'm going to go study it out. Like, I'm not supposed to go study this out again. He says, come and he says, take deep, 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 deep. Love it. Treasure, nugget, <laughs> you name it. Ah, uh, thank you so much, Miss Marilyn. So I um am definitely to all the listeners, uh, I will have the link to Marilyn's book in the show notes so that you can grab your copy of Hope for Widows, Reflections on Mourning, Living, and Change. I'm sure that it will be a blessing for any widow on the journey. Uh, thank you so much just for sharing your beautiful, beautiful story, Miss Marilyn. I truly appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Appreciate your wisdom, your faith, your hope, your mm -hmm. hope. Thank you. And to the Widow I Go From Here community, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. And until the next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't you dare hesitate to share it, rate it, or write a review. Episodes are released on the first Wednesday of every month with bonus interviews to keep you inspired. To check out what I'm up to, please visit me at widowigofromhere.com or follow me on social media at widowigofromhere. And until the next time, bye for now.